in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Forgot to mention, the Bulls beat the Nets last night, 108-99. Kyrie Irving had four points on two of 12 shooting. The college football playoff top four, actually the top 25, was announced yesterday. Here is your rankings. Number one, Tennessee. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Georgia. And number four, Clemson. That would be the playoff if the season ended today. Thankfully, it doesn't. A lot of this will sort itself out. Michigan came in at five, Alabama at six, and TCU at seven. Uh, Ripped off there, man. TCU? Yes. Ah, come on. They're fine. They're, they're just anticipating a loss UNLV still not receiving any votes despite <laughs> having a coach. No, no. They don't vote on this. This is the college football playoff. I know, but. You should look up the other one. See if they, four and four, they finally got some votes. Um, so first question for you. Do you believe Tennessee is the best team in the country? No, I believe Ohio State is. Oh, okay. Uh, Tennessee does have a good um, resume, right? If you look, right. they've, got a, they've sure. got a convincing win over LSU. They've got, they just blew out Kentucky, who I don't think the college football playoff committee actually ranked yesterday. Um, they have a decent win over Pitt as well. And then obviously the win over Alabama beat Alabama. So they've got a, a solid. No, resume. yeah, I don't, I'm not questioning them right now. Like you said, right. everything works out. I'm not questioning being number one. I just think Ohio state is yeah. the best team in the country. The, uh, curious part is Georgia being number three. Um, because we're going to see Tennessee and Georgia play this weekend. Yeah. So, so that's going to sort talking itself about out. working self yes. out. Like it's, it's literally going to happen this weekend between two of the top four teams in the country. The idea of its work of it working itself out though. TCU comes in at seven. They're eight. No. And this isn't to suggest that the committee can't like change their mind as the season goes on or whatever. How does Tennessee pass? Three SEC teams. You mean ahead TCU? Of them. Uh, yeah, excuse me, TCU. How does TCU pass three SEC teams? Well, ahead Alabama of them? gets a second loss. It, 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 I just to don't who, think though? with two. I just don't think with two losses they're going to let them in. Because you have a bunch of power fives with zero or one losses. So, because here, genuine, like when you say Alabama gets a second loss, absolutely. But they lose is, this week to LSU. Okay, then yes. The problem is then is LSU is ten and they might jump TCU. <laughs> they LSU does have two losses, so they probably wouldn't. But it's possible because here's the issue. When you look at the SEC, three teams in the top six, and then you take TCU undefeated at seven, the SEC teams are going to get losses because Tennessee has to play well, they Georgia. They playing each other. And then SEC most likely one of those teams will play Alabama in the SEC title game. But like Tennessee plays Georgia. If Georgia wins that game, how far does Tennessee fall? Because I think I think they're still in the top four. Uh, they might be. They might. Yeah, you don't know if they'd go from one to five. Right. I think they're still in the top four. And in that scenario, right, Georgia beats Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't play another good team the rest of the season. And if if they lose to Georgia, then Georgia's on track to go to the SEC title game championship. Yeah. Which means Tennessee is not playing Alabama in the SEC title game. Do they jump TCU if TCU wins the Big Twelve championship because they're so into winning conference championships? Yes, I think that's that's the big check mark we hear every year about winning conference your conference championship. championship. That's what they say all the time. Right. But to play this out, George, let's say Georgia beats Tennessee. Tennessee falls to four. Right, and Tennessee wins out convincingly, and they stay at four going into the championship weekend, which way they would not play in. Georgia jumps up to number one. 
They play Alabama in the SEC title and game. lose. Alabama wins the SEC title. And now you have one loss Alabama, one loss Georgia, one loss Tennessee, who all beat each other. And Ohio State. I don't know if the committee would put all three in, but I feel pretty confident they're putting two in. And if Ohio State wins out or Michigan, because Michigan's undefeated and ahead of TCU, if one of the Big Ten teams wins out and is an undefeated Big Ten champ, and then Clemson exists. I don't know how TCU okay, gets so in. So that's the team. That's the team that I have a problem with so far. Clemson, because I don't know who they've beaten, and they've come close to losing some. Right? Did you? I don't know who they've beaten. Did you see? I can't remember who it is. The 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 head of the playoff football committee um, was asked about TCU, and his response was, "Well, they've fallen behind in some games." Think about that. <laughs> Alabama lost a game. Yeah, they lost. They actually <laughs> yeah, lost. Yeah, but you don't understand. <laughs> Alabama, even if they lose, even if they lose their conference, even if they lose two or three games, they're going in. And here's the thing. TCU, I don't believe is better than any of the six teams ahead of them. I I don't, maybe Clemson, right? Maybe. But I I think if they played against any of the teams ahead of them, TCU's an underdog, I think, in probably every single one of those games. So I don't have a big issue with TCU being number seven. The issue is when the committee tries to explain itself and it says stupid things like, well, they've fallen behind behind in some some games. games. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. This is why we needed Condoleezza Rice. (laughs) (laughs) Like it doesn't that it's irrelevant. If you fall behind in games, if you still won the game. Yeah. What? Yeah. So you fell behind 3-0, but won 49-3. It's like, well, you know, they were trailing in that game. But they... The other team kicked a field goal very early. (laughs) And that... that, We we can't take that into account. Uh, Alabama lost. Are you doubting Yeah, but they lost to the number one team. (laughs) And that's... In all honesty, The team we placed at number one beat Alabama. That makes Alabama the number two team. That's the big accusation of, like, the playoff committee. Like, LSU being ranked 10th in the country... A lot of people looked at that and said, well, that's to give Tennessee another top 10 win. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, LSU maybe has a case for 10 overall, but very much is like, well, maybe they stuck them there so they could justify Tennessee LSU's being 10. I mean, yeah. how many years did they justify, and we're going to put Notre Dame in? Why? Well, usually because no, everybody else blew it. Yeah, and but then, and then and then you watch them play an actual college football team and go, oh, oh, you're not a real team. Those guys are so much bigger. The problem is there's never a team that's better than them. Like we saw it last year with since there's just never a third and fourth team that are any good. So we don't even need the college football. We don't playoff. go back to the BCS. It's fine. And now it's going to expand. <laughs> but that'll be fun because then we'll get five to play 12 and that'll be a good game. Yeah, that'll be a good game. It's still going to end with one and two slaughtering everybody. Right. But the eight, nine game is going to be phenomenal. Every once in a while, one and three slaughtering everybody because number two is somehow undefeated even though they didn't play anyone. Uh, uh, we'll see. Lionel Messi could play for Inter Miami. He currently plays for PSG. His contract expires this summer. Could sign a new contract with PSG, but according to The Athletic, Inter Miami expects Messi to arrive and hope he will sign in the coming months. Discussions between the two parties have been going on for a couple of years, and there is increasing <laughs> confidence that the proposed transfer will materialize. Uh, Messi turns 36 in June, um, which but MLS plays a different schedule than Europe. MLS plays during the summer here in Europe. They're playing right now. 
Um, very excited for Lionel Messi at 36. To Wasn't be in this Manila. kind of inevitable? Inevitable when he got to a certain age. It's been reported a lot that he would come over here. The question has always been when. Because here's the thing: Lionel Messi's 35 right now and is still really good. Like he's not best player in the world anymore, but he's still really good. Like right. Lionel Messi can play for three, four more years at a high one level. Of the top teams in Europe and no problem and whatsoever. Be fine. So 36 is normally you'd look at and say that's pretty old. Right. But getting Lionel Messi at 36 is like getting most guys at 30. So I, I'm excited. I'm also very curious if it actually happens because this has been rumored for a while. This has been talked about for a while that Lionel Messi will play in Major League Soccer at some point. I'm curious to see if it actually does happen and he comes over in the summer or whenever it does happen and plays in Major League Soccer next year. Major League Soccer is... I, okay, Wayne Rooney Shrek-looking ass was do, was like dominant in Major League Soccer. We are a we are a retirement system for actual soccer players. Now Gareth Bale can't play. Did Beckham play? Yeah. Uh, At the end? Does, what, what, Zlatan? Zlatan then went to Italy yeah. and, <laughs> and led, like was top five in goals in Italy. Yeah. Dude was not retired. Gareth Bale, though, uh, came over and is on LAFC, and he can't get on the field. LAFC is about to win the MLS Cup. They play Philly on Saturday. Uh, he can't get on the field. Like he And he's, by the way, he's Wales' best player when we play him in the World Cup. So good job, LA, from keeping him on the bench. Don't let that guy play. The bum. Hopefully never plays again. Don't get him tired. Yeah. No, no, you don't want guys to play. You want guys to play. That way they're not rusty. He's going to come in as a kick to soccer ball in four months. Valid question for sure. Uh, another trade that happened in the NFL yesterday: uh, the Steelers traded for or traded wide receiver Chase Claypool to the Bears, and they got a second round pick in return. Claypool this year is averaging four catches a game for thirty nine yards, and they got a second round pick for him. But he was good on our fantasy teams like two years ago. Was he even that good? We had like a six week stretch of well, being good. Well, Juju fell off <laughs> or was hurt. I can't remember. What do you think He's the Bears not worth are a doing? second round pick? I, yeah. Like, what do you think the Bears are doing to get him a second round pick for a maybe good wide receiver? Four catches for 39 yards. That's his average per game, which is, I mean, granted, it's more than Devontae Adams. Adams does, but it's it's still not worth a second Wait, round pick. Wait, is it legitimately more than? No, not on no, average. No, 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 no. Just last week. Um, but the other interesting detail, Tom Silverstein reported this. The Packers also were trying to trade for Chase Claypool. The Packers offered a second-round pick to the Steelers. The Steelers took the Bears' offer because they think the Bears are going right. to be worse than the Packers and have a better draft okay. pick. Both teams are 3-5 and five at the moment. Yeah, but you still think which one has a chance to rally a I little. I agree. I agree. But I do very much enjoy that the reason... Now the Packers and Bears are going to play. The Bears are going to have a player that both teams wanted, and it's because the Steelers think the Bears suck. Yeah. And the Bears just got rid of two of their best defensive players. Yep. And here's what I'm hoping for, though. The Packers suck, and the Bears, like, win nine games. And the Steelers are look back and say, oh... We could have taken the Packers. We could add an early second round pick, and now we got a mid second round pick. That didn't work out very well for us. Kalong told me a couple days ago, "You got to get rid of this echo." (laughs) Can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. (laughs) The Vikings traded for T.J. Hawkinson, an in division trade because they got him for the Lions. Uh, Minnesota sent a second and third to Detroit. They also got back two fourths. So Minnesota's trying to win something. They are six and one. Yeah. Um, do you believe they can oh. win the NFC this year? 
I don't believe that they can win the NFC. They are six and one. Yeah, they're six and one under Kevin O'Connell, that former Aztec. Their offensive weapons around Kirk Cousins are good. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, obviously throw TJ Hawkinson in there as a good tight end. I believe they can win the NFC because the NFC, like who are the best teams in the NFC? Obviously the Eagles, Eagles. and then the Cowboys. Cowboys. Right? Like the, Gino. Gino. The Seahawks is a legitimate yeah. point at the moment. The Bucks and Packers suck. So I think they could win the NFC. I still believe it's the Eagles. I think I thought it's going to be the Eagles the entire season. But they can win it. And if you're the Vikings, you're at six and one. The Packers finally suck for a season. And you look around this conference. I I have no problem I mean, with them get going all in. One or two, how many home games would they get if they win the division? They finish second to the Packers. Excuse me, second to the Eagles. Second to the Eagles, so yeah. they would play two home they games. Play, they'd get two home games. And then if the Eagles got upset, they would get three home yeah, games. Yeah, they get three home games. So that, there's a somewhat genuine path for them to the NFC title game. Um, and if that does, in fact, happen, then you've always got a shot, obviously, to go to the Super Bowl. So I, I'm, in all honesty, the Vikings should have probably gone all in even more yesterday. I don't know what other positions they think they need, but they should have been throwing around more draft picks to go all in yesterday and add players because there is a opening for the Vikings that probably hasn't existed. And well, they haven't had that in a while right. because of the Packers, right? I mean, the Packers have had like three bad seasons in two decades right. or something stupid like that. Like there's a genuine window for them. And I think they should have done more to go all in yesterday. All right. Coming up next. Um, I'm going to leave the room as we talk about the world series. Well, the thought process was uh, the fact that he had had two good innings. Two real good innings. And then they hit a blooper, a homer, and then I couldn't get anybody loose. I mean, you know, it was my decision. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. (laughs) He had two good innings. They certainly didn't hit home runs in the first inning. Couldn't get anyone loose. (laughs) No no one was going to get loose in the first inning. Was he tipping his pitches like they were talking about? <laughs> all right. How <laughs> was Lance McCullers giving up what, all these home runs? What do you guys want me to <laughs> complain or yell about first? Dusty Baker. All right. I liked I liked that there shouldn't have even been a game today. <laughs> well, there should have been game five or game four. It was supposed to be yesterday. Um, all right. <laughs> the Houston Astros were the easiest team in baseball to manage this year. I don't know if anybody tracks this stat, but I'd be willing to bet the Astros made the fewest middle of an inning pitching changes in all of baseball this year. Their starters pitched deeper than anybody in baseball, and their bullpen was excellent. Very on it. rarely did Dusty Baker have to make an in-inning pitching change. It always The pitchers always got through the inning, and he'd make the change after the inning. Dusty Baker is asleep at the wheel in the postseason. He well, left Justin Verlander. He needs a nap. He left Justin Verlander in in game one to give up runs in back-to-back innings without having a reliever up in the bullpen ready to go in case he got in trouble. You just heard him talk about last night that he was asked about letting Lance McCullers face the lineup for the third time. And that was when the game was four, nothing they were going into the fifth and the Phillies then hit two more home runs to make it seven, nothing. And dusty Baker said in there, we didn't have anybody up. Uh, He did say that's on me. He did take some accountability for it, but a pitcher who had given up, four runs on three home runs 
And Dusty Baker didn't think to have somebody up in the bullpen when they were going through the order a third time is indefensible. That's inexcusable. The Phillies pulled their starter who was throwing a shutout when the order came up a third Mm -hmm. time. That is standard baseball Mm -hmm. that you, if your pitcher's rolling, sure, you can let him face the order a third time. But a lot of times, pitchers that aren't rolling get pulled. But when the third order comes up a third time, because usually you get hit hard. And when your pitcher sucks, he never gets to face the order a third time unless Dusty Baker's the manager. Dusty's asleep. Given the way the team performed in the regular season, I understand why. But you have to be willing to change. And the other thing that infuriates me is that Dusty Baker mentioned trying to save the bullpen yesterday. It's the damn World Series, Dusty. Yeah, you don't. It's not there a month of games. There are four more games. Left. Every single person in that bullpen can pitch every single game yes. the rest of the year if you need them to. You do not save the bullpen in the in a World, World Series. Series game. Madison Bumgarner in what, 2013? Tw- no, 2014. Literally pitched like, I'll close. You want me to pitch the next day? That's fine. All right. On Lance what about the, before you go on okay. to that, do you think the pitching coach has any power over Dusty and that he might have said, hey, what do you think about this? Yes. Um, you know, he's facing a third time. He's given up three yes. home runs. I don't know if he has power, but yes. Dusty, the way the, the Dusty Baker has talked about it throughout the entire time he's been with the Astros, he leans heavily on the pitching coaches. And they have they actually have two pitching coaches. He leans heavily on them to help make decisions. So I absolutely believe that if the pitching coach had said, hey, let's get somebody up. Order's coming through a third time. Let's at least have somebody ready. Oh. Like, if you want to leave him out there, okay. Because he did have two, like, nine pitch innings before that. Like, the third and the fourth, he was awesome. So I understand Dusty thought of, okay, let's throw him out there again. But to have nobody ready to go, it's just, it's inexcusable. Lance McCullers became the first pitcher yesterday to give up five home runs in a World Series game, uh, largely because most managers don't leave their pitcher in to give up four home runs in a World Series game, let alone five. But Also, the Phillies are not built to small ball. Here's the stat that's uh, one of the most incredible stats I think I've seen. This is from David Murphy. Since Lance McCullers broke into the major leagues, no pitcher in baseball has allowed fewer home runs than his 57 in 718 innings. That works out to 0.7 home runs per nine innings. Lance McCullers does not give up a home run per nine innings. Yesterday, he gave up five in four and a third, which works out to 10.4 home runs per nine innings. The Phillies set a record for most home runs off of a single pitcher against a pitcher that literally does not give give up home home runs. And so the whole question about was he tipping his pitches, Lance McCullers was asked about it afterwards. He said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe him. I think he's just, he was trying to take, a, like somebody asked him about rust and because he hasn't pitched in like eight days. And he's like, nope, not a factor. They just beat me. I think he was just trying to be the Derek Carr, take responsibility no matter what. This was my fault. I think he was 100% tipping his pitches yesterday. I think there was a video of, of his leg lift and how it was different on fastballs and breaking balls. I don't know how accurate that is. Obviously Bryce Harper whispering to Alec Bohm uh, before, right. after Bryce Harper hit his home run. I think he, he had to have been tipping his pitches. I don't, and in all honesty, if he was not tipping his pitches, then it's even worse. He should not pitch in this series again. He right. would start game seven. If, if it goes seven, he should not pitch in this series right. again. If he was not tipping his pitches. But I, I think he had to have been. 
Like, I just don't think there's another genuine explanation for a pitcher that does not give up home runs, giving up five and four and a yeah. third. It just doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make a add lot up. of sense. Yeah. And like a lot of people have said that he, he missed on his pitches. Even his catcher, Martin Maldonado was like, yeah, he missed his location, which is, is true, right? The, especially the one to Bryce Harper was right down the middle of the plate, but pitchers miss their location all the time and don't give up five home runs. Sure. Like sure. guys miss their location and still yeah. get outs. Yeah. Right. Like, cause it's hard to hit a baseball. Yeah. If they have like, enough speed and movement on right. it, even if they miss the location, you're not always yeah. giving up home runs. And McCullers, his spin rate and the uh, break on his pitches was normal for what it was during the regular season. So it's not like it was a hanger to Bryce Harper. Absolutely. That one was just a hanger down the middle of the plate, but it's not like he had bad stuff last night. His stuff was pretty normal for what it is, but Basically, every time he left something over the plate at all, the Phillies put it in the seats. And the other key is that he has five different pitches, and the Phillies hit four of them over the four different pitches over the fence. They hit the curveball, the slider, the cutter, and the sinker over the fence last night. And that's ridiculous to think. It wasn't like, oh, he just hung a curveball four times and they crushed it. They hit every type of pitch he throws over the fence. So. I think he had to have been tipping pitches, and if he wasn't, my God, what a nightmare of a performance. And here's the other thing that I'm upset about. Assuming he was tipping pitches, the Astros not figuring that out is inexcusable. Completely inexcusable for them to not figure that out in-game, right? When when Harper hits a two-run home run, and then you see him talk to Alec Bohm, and then the very next inning, Alec Bohm takes the first pitch over the fence... There needs to be a mound. Like, you've got to figure something out at that point. Because the Astros catcher this year hit like 160. And he got a lot of credit for being great defensively. Got a lot of credit for understanding the game. If Lance McCullers was tipping pitches and the catcher, Martin Maldonado, didn't figure it out, there's no reason he should be in the lineup. If Lance McCullers was tipping pitches and the pitching coaches didn't figure it out, what the hell are they doing there? If Lance McCullers was tipping pitches and he didn't figure it out, right? that's, that's inexcusable. For the other team to have it, for Bryce Harper to have it figured out like 10 pitches into the game, that's not good enough. <sighs> All right, I'm done. You guys got like two minutes, whatever you want to yell about. Uh, the Vegas guys are doing pretty good. Yeah, the Vegas <laughs> guys are doing pretty good. Bryson Stott at short. Bryson Stott was like the only one that sucked yesterday. No, he's at shortstop defensively. Did, he's not did, bad. Yeah, did, okay, he wasn't Juan Soto out there playing balls like behind him. I mean, he's all right. Did any of your guys win a uh, gold glove yesterday? You, you two had two. Them. You had two of them, right? Jeremy Pena was the first rookie to win a shortstop gold yes. glove, and Kyle Tucker won it in right field. All right. Did any of the Dodgers? I have no idea. <laughs> did any of the Dodgers? Hey, did my team do okay? Yeah, it's all Tyler, about my team. Tyler, all about did my team. T- tell me about my team. It's all about my team. Did the Cubs do all right? Nationally, JT Realmonto, Christian Walker. You're going to read them all off? Okay. Yes. Brendan Rodgers, Dansby Swanson. And this is a segment we call <laughs> Reading Arizona. the Internet with Ed Graney. Ian Happ, Trent Grisham, Mookie Betts. Got <laughs> right. one. Snuck one in there with Snuck Mookie Snuck one Betts. in there in right field. Snuck one in there in right field. All right, so you're okay to, to, down 2-1. At least, you're he, not, at least he didn't say, wait, did Mookie play for us? <laughs> am, I, am I okay? I am okay. But I would say I still have confidence they can win the series. Who down goes tonight? One. Christian Javier, who... Um, Throws the best fastball in baseball. Okay. 
Uh, if they hit the best fastball in baseball over the fence five times, the series is over, and all of the Astros pitchers are tipping. Kate Upton was there last night. She looked a little too happy for her team. She did. They're down did seven to nothing. And she's like and she's smiling like, and oh, pointing the at the camera, and it's and like, she, okay, come on now. Your your, yeah. your husband's team's getting a she, you know what? She's probably just like at least Justin's not pitching. True. I mean, he's tomorrow. I go back to. Uh, well, this relationship no longer exists, but I go back to Giselle during the Super Bowl when the Patriots were losing, going, my husband cannot throw and catch the ball. <laughs> She's probably just like, Justin didn't play bad. <laughs> Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. The man does not like pie or syrup on his pancakes. No clue why we're talking to him, but... It is time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Good morning, Jason. Hey, buddy. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? We're good. We're also not arguing with our number one listener, Fernando, exactly. on Twitter like you are. Oh, no, no. See, I've gone to your mom jokes. I would just now continue. <laughs> the, the best part about your mom jokes is I have no boundary I won't go to because I have no relationship with my mother and I have no feelings for it at all. So there's nothing anybody can say back to me because I'm just like, all right, cool. Like you think, you think my mom's bad. You should actually meet her. So like, there's nothing that anybody can say to me that comes back to it. And I have no problem arguing like a 12 year old. So, you know, uh, I, I like to think I was more creative than, uh, than, than they were so all right. far. All right. A lot just happened there. I don't know if I should explore or move on from your relationship <laughs> with your mom. I don't know whose dog was that. I assume that was your dog. It's a good dog. We like dogs yeah. barking in the background. It's the best part of the show. Yeah. Um, a lot 100%. happened there. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. So I'm actually just going to transition to, do you remember how many wins in a row you said the Raiders were going to get after the bye? Yeah, you know what? A little stumble there. Uh, you know, a little wrong about that one. And you know, the craziest thing is I was talking to my buddy, Eddie Pascal, that morning. Because uh, I was doing some Raiders stuff that night, and he said, "Man, I got a bad feeling about this." And I said, "Son of a biscuit!" Because like the last time he said, "I have a bad feeling about this," and I said, "No, nah, I feel pretty good about it." Was the Kansas City blowout last year? So I was like, "We're doomed!" Like I, I and you know, by the third quarter, I was doom scrolling the internet because the game wasn't worth watching. It was it was the annual the Raiders didn't seem to show up game, and unfortunately, when you played the way they played in the first five six weeks, you don't have that runway left anymore. It'd be the inexcusable part is that they lost. I mean, that, that's going to happen in today's NFL. The inexcusable part is that Derek Carr looked wildly confused from the outset. It, it didn't look like there was any energy from the team. There was no give a damn. Like, everything you need from a team with their backup against the wall, they didn't play with. So, I was absolutely wrong because I did not see the flat game coming against the Texans of all people. Yeah, or not and, the Texans, the Saints. And I want to ask you about that no, no energy, whatever, because last year, say what you want, for Basaccia, they played for him, they played for each other, and there was some kind of emotion and spirit and energy each week, and I saw none of that Sunday. Yeah, well, there were three different moments that stood out to me. One was Derek Carr sitting on the sideline with no one talking to him, just staring off into space, and that came after yet another quick drive when what I kept thinking about is we're used to seeing Derek Carr run up to the line of scrimmage and bark things. I don't even know what he's talking about half the time or if it's real, but we know he's barking out orders, and in this game, he was just walking up, taking the snap, and then patting the ball two or three times. He looked confused at that point. So that was problematic to me. Late in the fourth, uh, Devontae Adams was sitting there same way, just sort of zombie look on his face. I thought that was problematic. And there was a play in late in the game, too, where Carr got hit, and the offensive line was busy jogging back to the uh, sideline. And at first, didn't even realize their quarterback was on the ground. He actually saw, I think it was Colton Miller, 
that took a couple steps away, then turned around and was like, oh, gosh, we forgot to help our quarterback up. That's <laughs> a level of, like, what are we doing that we never saw with Versace. And I, I think you make a very valid point. Like, you know, whatever is happening in that locker room, th- this isn't just about coaches or just about players. This is about both. Accountability for energy. The one thing you can control in a football game is the passion and fire you bring to it. And Miles Garrett did that on Monday night, and it wrecked a football game, right? You can control the energy and passion you bring. And the only person that brought energy and passion to that game was Max Crosby. Everybody else looked a step slow from the outset. Uh, Stidham! Yeah, Jared Stidham was great. What are you talking about? He let him down the field once. I mean, I can't believe I actually found myself in the third corner thinking, maybe you just put Stidham. Like, <laughs> and you guys know I'm never the anti-car guy. Like, I found myself saying, maybe you just put Stidham in. And, you know, I this is... There's two quick things that you guys, you know, don't want to get in the weeds, but there's two things that I will tell you that, that I cannot stop thinking about from Raider fandom on Twitter. Number one is Josh McDaniels isn't getting fired. No matter what anybody thinks, I, I don't, if the Raiders lost every game for the rest of the year, I think Josh McDaniels is back because, frankly, they'd have to pay him 50 or $60 million at least to go away because co- coaching contracts are guaranteed. And then Mark Davis, the same person that hired Josh McDaniels, would then be trusted to hire a better hire than Josh McDaniels. So that's the definition of insanity. You piece all that together, I don't think there's any chance that, you know, Mark Davis is going to be looking for a new coach. But the other side of it is I went back and did the numbers on every quarterback drafted in the last 10 years. And if you take out one draft, 2020 was a very good draft. Four of those quarterbacks have turned out to be stars. If you take that draft out for the last decade of all the quarterbacks drafted in the first round, only four got a second contract with the team they were with. Four out of, I think, 17. So for everybody that thinks, let's just go draft somebody over the last decade, man, you ain't getting him. Like, Justin Fields may not be with the Bears next year. Mac Jones isn't any good. Tua Tagovailoa, even the Dolphins fan base isn't sure if Tua is the guy or not the guy. So, like, this concept that you're just going to go, Trevor Lawrence was the most can't-miss quarterback prospect we've seen in the draft in a generation, and he threw the interception that ended the game for the Jacks. He looks a little better this year. But he's not can't miss. Like, you can look back to the last decade. Go look at the numbers. Quarterbacks drafted in the first round are historically unsuccessful other than one draft. So, for everyone that just says, let's go draft a quarterback, cool. Chances are that quarterback's not going to be as good as Derek Carr. And that sucks. Um, Do you know what Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Zach Wilson all have in common from the weekend? They all won. They got they past. Won. They got past no. midfield. They didn't even have to win. They just got past <laughs> oh, they got midfield. Past midfield. Okay, yeah. they got past midfield. Yeah. They got past midfield. Okay, so I actually it, think Bryce it, Young could have gotten past midfield on Sunday against the Saints. But here's the here's the crazy part. If the Jets on Tuesday, if the Raiders had offered a straight trade for the Jets, Zach Wilson for Derek Carr, would the Jets have taken it? I don't know. He didn't get past uh, midfield. They got to pay him a lot of money. Would the to Bears? Suck. Would the Bears have taken it? They got to pay. I mean, a lot you can of money. go up and down the list, like. Uh, I, I, yeah, you got to pay him a decent amount of money for a quarterback. But the fact is, every one of those quarterbacks, like, would New England love to have Derek Carr as their starting quarterback next year? Yeah. They got they, Bailey they Zappi. Would. What are you talking about? They got Bailey Zappi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. In Zappi, we trust. Raiders fans going to be super excited about a straight up trade, Derek Carr for Bailey Zappi. I mean, it's just, this is not a lot of good quarterbacks. Like, and everybody thought that they were going to fix it this year. Like, how's Denver feel about that guaranteed money to Russell Wilson? The, the, the Colts good. are going to get themselves oh. fired for all of the bad quarterback decisions they've made. Like, we go up and down the list on bad quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay, but you have to admit, Mariota, Amari Cooper, Kenyon Drake, and Alex Engel, they all looked really good. Engel scored. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I mean, look, I thought I thought the Ingold thing was was alarming. Amari Cooper, yes, Amari Cooper looks great. But I asked Jack Del Rio at ESPN on campus one day. I said, Jack, what went wrong with Amari Cooper? And Jack said, man, if I knew that, I'd probably still be the head coach. I asked somebody with the, with the Cowboys organization last year, why does Amari Cooper disappear for games at a time? And I got somebody with the Cowboys organization that turned around and said, man, we have no idea. He'll come in on a Monday, and all of a sudden, he doesn't want to be there. And when he doesn't want to be there, you can't talk to him. So, like, yeah, Amari Cooper looks amazing, and I love Amari. I, he, was, he was my favorite quarterback or favorite wide receiver coming out of that draft. I love Amari. But Amari disappears, and he'll eventually disappear on Cleveland, too. So, like, I think a lot of people are being harsh on the Cowboys only getting a fifth-round draft pick for him that aren't remembering the fact that he didn't want to be around Dallas anymore. Once he, once he checks out of a locker room, he ain't worth a damn. I want to ask you real quick about Chandler Jones because Dave Ziegler talked this morning. He said uh, the teammates have to capitalize on the opportunities that he creates. That Chandler Jones is getting a lot of attention. That doesn't seem right. That's just no, no. Like what, I'm not accepting that. Like that that lives in a world where GMs forget that we can all get the all 22 from NFL.com. Like it's just come on, man. Like the the biggest difference in life from when I was a kid to now is when I was a kid. I went to the corner store. When I moved out of Vegas as a kid, I went to the corner store every Friday, and I bought USA Today, and I went on Monday, and I bought USA Today because those are the only two ways I could read about the Raiders. And the only highlights I got were what NFL primetime or the George Michael sports machine gave me. That was my life. I used to call an 800 number on Sunday nights to try and figure out what the Raiders games had, what had happened. We used to sit in front of the TV and wait for the 10-minute ticker on NBC to tell us the score. Dave Ziegler's acting like that's still the world we live in because, nah, 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 man. Like, we can all see it now, and everybody knows somebody that can give them a good breakdown of it. There is no chance on it. Like, we're watching Max Crosby be disruptive when he gets absolutely no help. We are watching teams do everything they can to put three guys on him half the time, and we're watching Chandler Jones get to the quarterback a step late over and over and over again. So, like, at some point, it's either on the coaches to simplify what they're asking for them or on the player to be better. But right now, Chandler Jones is one of the biggest busts of the offseason. All right. I have a college football question for you. What's more likely, three SEC teams in the college football playoff or TCU? Oh, man. I, I got into it with uh, A.J. McCarron last night on our <laughs> ranking reaction show on digital because I kept trying to tell A.J. there was a path that got no SEC teams in the playoffs. He didn't like that answer at all. Um, I think <laughs> – I think three SEC teams is uh, not only more likely, but I think it, it, it's a real reality. Like, th- there's a very real scenario where, you know, Georgia, uh, Georgia beats Tennessee, and all of a sudden, you know, if it's an epic once-in-a-lifetime game, now you're going to have to make a decision about a Tennessee that's not going to the SEC championship game but started this whole playoff rankings process as number one. The problem with TCU is they don't play anybody the rest of the year. Like, the biggest portion of TCU's resume has already been created, and that portion of the resume wasn't good enough. So and they just need too much help. Like, Michigan and Ohio State, one of them will take care of the other. In theory, what would be great for the college football playoff committee, and this is what's unfortunate, the playoff gods always seem to take care of it so the committee doesn't have to answer for it. Like, uh, in theory, somebody's going to trip up in the SEC and make this easy so they only have to put two in, but – you know, Clemson's going to win out. They're a lock if they win out, like it or not, even though I think TCU's a better football team. So I think it's hard for TCU, and I think, frankly, the Pac-12 got got bit in the butt, too, because Oregon, while they have enough left in front of them 
given the, the fact that UCLA and, and USC had a, a, a pretty decent rating. The problem is, you know, the head-to-head is always going to be used as a reason why even if Georgia takes a loss, you can't put Oregon in in front of them. So that, that's going to be wild. They got blown out by Georgia, and I don't think anyone's going to forget it. All right, he's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Fred. So, there's you know Jason what? I Fitz. appreciate all of your moms. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. All right, but not your own. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. <laughs> he uh, started very dark. I don't have a relationship with my mom. And didn't know where to go with that. I don't know yeah. if Jason wants to, to get right to the right. Yeah, that's that's almost like that's the yeah. That's like throwing a dead fish. Like, right. hey, I just got a vasectomy. What's going on with you? <laughs> you guys apparently made a whole show out of that. <laughs> Well, you were you were the one who brought it up on the show, and we were like, "Hey, Tyler's sharing something personal. We should share it with everyone." <laughs> yeah, that was fine. All right, we got tickets what? to give away. I, Shit, it's eight forty-six. We're supposed to go to break three minutes ago. I we're know. not asking more questions to Fitz. We got two tickets to give away to go see the Who. The Who Hits Back Tour is at Dolby Live Park MGM. We got two tickets for Saturday, November fifth. That's the Saturday. We'll take caller number seven at 702-364-1100. That's caller seven at 702-364-1100 to go see the who. You don't want to go through your whole pitching staff because four to nothing, this ballpark is is really nothing the way the ball flies here. And so, um, you know, uh, what can I say? The line score looks bad, but, you know, they were just hitting us. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. <laughs> they should fire the manager in the middle of the World Series. Right now? Yeah, yeah. Would he know he was fired? That's a good point. You That's missed a good point. During, at, during the clip of Dusty Baker, Tyler brained himself on his own microphone, wincing from hearing him go, well, you know, I mean, 4-0. You can come back from yeah, that. Yeah, the way the ball flies out of this ballpark. Now, what about 7 They could um, fire him and he'd still show up in his uniform. <laughs> that's fine. Let him be in the crowd with Mattress Mac. I don't dislike <laughs> Dusty Baker. Just let somebody else make decisions. Um, now, some breaking news this morning. Dan Snyder might be selling the Washington Commanders. Uh, Forbes reported that he has hired Bank of America to help sell the Washington oh, he's gonna get some Commanders. Um so let me ask you this. Do you think Dan Snyder, this is a forced-to-sell situation? Yeah, because I don't think he ever would have done it on himself, by himself. So what do you think is forcing him to sell? I we had we had Dan Ursay, I mean, the owner of the Colts, two weeks ago say they need to get him out of the league. Right. Is is I this mean, is other owners? Situ- are these? Are, could it be other owners agreeing with Ursay finally? Well, I'm not even saying they didn't agree with him beforehand. So... The owners could basically vote to remove him. 25, I think. 24, 24. of the 32, well, to, 31 other owners because right. he wouldn't vote for himself. A, well, <laughs> you're right. He might. He might. Um, so I'm out. They need 24 votes to basically kick him out of the league. He would still be allowed, allowed to sell the team, right? If they voted. Yeah, he's to still going to make the money. Him. Right. He'd be allowed to sell. So I wonder if there's like, you know, 20 owners basically told him, like, yeah, if we if this ever comes to a vote, we're voting to yeah. kick you out. And this is Dan Snyder saying, "Well, that looks bad, so I'd rather sell them ahead of time." Um, but even then, Dan Snyder's been so defiant about this. I'm still I'm I don't know if he's that's He's not it. even the like he's not even in charge of the team. How does he get to sell them? Like he's has there ever been a point where he hasn't been defiant about no. keeping them? No. So like I almost wonder is there something else? 
that's forcing him to sell here. Like, well, is he knows s- everything about everyone else. Maybe they know more stuff about him. Where's his blackmail, too, by the way? Yeah. This, all Where's this, all that? All this story about Dan Snyder's got dirt on Goodell, NFL executives, and owners. other owners. Hey. I told you, I don't believe he has it. Where is it? Where's all the dirt that was supposed to come out about Goodell through John Gruden? We're still waiting on the dirt to come out They got to go to court. They're hoping to go to court and have emails released. But where's like Dan Snyder supposed Dan to have Snyder's all this dirt? Dan Snyder's supposed to have all this dirt on people, and we haven't heard one thing about it. Because I tell you, I don't think he has it. I mean, I don't think he's smart enough to hire a private investigator to get dirt on Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, or Jerry Mark Davis. or Bob Kraft. Yeah, or any of these oh. guys. Hell, all those guys' dirt are just public. So. Some of the dirt that came out. <laughs> some of the dirt that came out was Adam Schefter had a ghostwriter. Yeah, like literally, like half the time, dirt comes out of the NFL. It's like, and this was going on in Washington. <laughs> The commanders have not confirmed that he is selling the team. They're basically putting it as this is a possibility. Everything's on the table. What are the chances he doesn't actually sell? What are the chances he hires Bank of America? Bank of America says, all right, we got a buyer lined up for however many billion dollars. Well, I think Snyder if he goes says, that far for that many billions of dollars, he they, they cut bait. What if the person in charge's wife says no? He feels like a uh, child and... If, well, he's certainly acts like one. If something happened in the net, in like the net between now and when he actually gets an offer to sell the team that annoys him, I feel like he might pull it back and say, "Nah, I'm not selling it. Screw you guys. I'm staying here." Like if Jim Irsay came out and said, "It's a great day, Dan Snyder selling the team." <laughs> Snyder might be like, there's no, agree- I'm not. There's an agreement in place. The, the, yeah, the, the Snyder'd wolf- be like, "Nope, I'm not selling it. I'm still here." The Wolf of Wall Street. I'm. Yes. <laughs> I am staying. I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. Is this the best day in Washington Commanders fan history since whenever they won a Super Bowl? If you look on Twitter, it is. Like, (laughs) they were excited for. They are very excited that this day has finally come. They were excited for the XFL. They were calling it, we finally have football in Washington, D.C. This feels like a genuine start that could be good for a franchise that's been so bad for so long that it's basically the same as winning a Super Bowl.